Welcome to the CapTech podcast with President Sims. I am president of Capital Technology University. We're a small, private, nonprofit, fully accredited university in Laurel, Maryland, focused on building and enhancing careers for industry in demand areas. We have been in business since 1927 and focus on STEM or management of STEM degrees at the bachelor's, master's, and doctoral levels. Today, we have Ian McAndrew. He is Capital Technology University's Dean of Doctoral Programs. He's gonna talk about the process for doctoral defenses, what you might expect as a student, what your best practices as a student. So welcome, Dr. McAndrew, to the program. Thank you, President Sims. I'd like to start by talking about the different types of defenses that could possibly happen wherever you are studying. And this talk here, this podcast, isn't just about what happens at CapTech, but it's about the process in general. And I'm hoping that other people from other universities will be listening to this, and maybe we can share some of our experiences. I've been doing the supervision of PhDs with students for nearly three decades now. And I've seen many different types of students, situations, and I've had the pleasure of actually being involved with people all over the world being the examination at various different universities. Indeed, quite a few in America. What normally happens is when you have your defense, there's a committee and you will come along. And typically in America, a lot of people are expected to give a presentation often up to about one hour. Then with an invited panel and audience, questions will be asked. In those sort of situations, after the general discussions and questions have happened, then it will go into the inner group where only those involved with the research will be asking the questions. After that, the student will be asked to retire and they will discuss and deliberate what has happened and their recommendations, whether you pass, whether you pass with changes, or whether you have other more serious situations like major changes or even a redefense. And then that will be shared with the student. Now, one or how we work at Capital, we're very similar to that, but we have a little bit more of a focus on it. We have a 20 minute presentation to start. And I'll talk about that in a while as we go through it. But then there will be questions and answers. And again, the student is asked to leave and then return. This is very typical and something between these two is what you would come across. As an interesting point, I was an external examiner for a PhD student in Australia. It is the only place I ever come across where they didn't actually have a formal defense. There were two or three examiners and they were asked to review the work, very much like a peer reviewed journal. And all that goes in and then the Dean of the school would see if there's sufficient evidence or changes for the student to be awarded the doctoral degree. But apart from that one case, everyone else when we sit down will have to do a defense. And that defense can be nervous, it can be exciting, and people have different skills and worries about it. Sometimes you'll see people and they're incredibly nervous, but there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're the type of person that gets nervous before an exam, do not worry. No one fails a PhD because they were nervous in their defense. If anything, it shows you care and you're passionate about what you're doing. And that's a plus. But if we go along, you know, I'm often asked the question, why a defense? What is the purpose of defense? You hear some people say, oh, it's just a haze you at the end and have their little bit of fun on that. It's not, it's a serious academic task. It is there for several reasons. First and foremost, that we are convinced that this is your work because 
there's always a risk that someone else could have done a large part of it for you. And by defending it, that will become apparent. And if you pass your PhD, you don't want anyone else to get through when someone else has given them extra help. Separately, and it also is important, is the fact that you understand what you've achieved. You know what the results are suggesting, indicating, or telling us. And you can articulate that to the actual defense process. It's possible that you could use a very complicated program and you can get some impressive numbers, but you don't know what they mean. And that would be very much of a problem and identified at the defense stage. But I would also add, and what is very important is, really what we need in addition to this is the confidence that you know how to do research and you can show us how and why and what you did. And we explain the limitations and everything else. Because when we sign off and you're awarded your doctoral degree, what we want to know is that if we gave you another research topic and that research topic was given to someone, the other side of the world who you didn't know, and you both carried out this research, we would be confident that the conclusions you reach will be the same. And though those are the main parts about doing a defense. It is important, it's important for different ways and meanings. And at the end of the defense, and when you've passed, we are confident as a university that you have that badge. Now, many people then start to think, well, why do students struggle in a defense? And they struggle, I don't think, because they're not always sure what's happening. And I always say to my students, and I think this is relevant, almost anything you're asked in life, there are only three types of questions you can be asked. I classify them as a type one, type two, and type three question. A type one question is the type of question when you're directly asked a fact. What is the value of pi to four decimal places? You know it or you don't know it. And these are often icebreaker questions at the beginning of defense to help people settle down. We've already asked you to do a presentation. Now at Capital, we ask you to do it for 20 minutes. Why 20 minutes? Well, that's because you could be going to conferences in the future and you do your research and you're frequently limited to a time period to express and articulate your research. And we like to mirror that to see that you can do that. Now, okay, type one questions, but let's miss type two and let's go to type three questions. These are the questions and you probably remember something like this when you were at school and you're in a math class and the teacher said a train leaves Chicago at three o'clock in the afternoon and a butterfly lands on a flower in China. What is the square of this value in Germany? And you think, how are those three linked together? It's that sort of totally out of your area. You don't know anything about it. Well, we ask one or two of these types of questions. We want to see how you think on your feet. We want to see how you understand your research in the broader context or a parallel type of research situation so that you can express and you can explain and you can understand that your research is part of a bigger situation. We don't necessarily expect you to have the perfect answer, but we want to see how you can relate it. And such answers, which we like to hear, are things like, well, that's not a core part of my research. But if I use the knowledge I've learned in my doctoral degree and apply it to this particular area, my answer would be something like. And you hear people come out of a defense and they say, oh, I'm going to fail. They asked me these questions. I had no idea what the answer was. I just gave it my best shot. They're likely to have been the type three questions. 
If you cannot get the type one question right, we worry because how could you do this work without knowing basic facts? The type three question is really to see how you think on your feet, if I may use a metaphor. The type two are the important ones. We've read your work. We're not actually sure what some of it means. We've looked at a graph. We've looked at your description and we're looking for a clarification. And these are the important ones that you're explaining to us what is not clear from reading the research. It's likely that when one of these type two questions have been asked, that will be a follow up question because, ah, well, that means does this apply to these types of situations? So think to yourself, type one, you've got to know the answer. Type three is asking you to think laterally and about the bigger picture. Type two is asking for clarification. And there's probably going to be mainly type two questions. And these are important for you to think about and when you're asked. You know, and, and the sort of students struggle with the things about, you know, there's a thing called imposter syndrome. I remember on the eve of my doctoral defense, I said to my chair, I don't know how I'm gonna get a PhD. There's nothing clever in this work. And my chair said to me, Ian, you have been doing thousands of hours on this. It's obvious to you but it won't be to anyone else that hasn't spent a lot of time researching. And he told me a story and I don't know if it's true or not. If it's not true, I don't care. If it is true, I think it's great. And that was about Albert Einstein. When he was doing a tour of Europe, he had a chauffeur. And in those days, most people had no idea what he looked like. There wasn't the sort of mass coverage with photographs as we get now. And he was given this talk in all these different places night after night for a couple of weeks. And they're driving to one. And the chauffeur said to Einstein, you know, it's not that difficult relativity, really, is it? You know, I've been listening to it, it's pretty obvious. Now that Einstein said, I tell you what, you do my talk tonight and I'll sit in the back. So he gave the talk, the standard questions were asked, he'd heard the standard answers and he gave the answers. But there was one unique person in the audience who turned around and said, ah, and asked this question that he had no idea what the answer was. And he turned around and obviously a very good answer and said, well, that is such an obvious question. Even my chauffeur could answer that and I'll hand you over to him. Now, I don't know if it's right or wrong, a true story or not, but I think it's the theme which is important. And that is, you know this subject better than anyone else in the world. You've been working it, living it, thinking about it as you drive to work, as you walk around the block or anything else like that. Don't have imposter syndrome. Go in there and know that this work is a good piece of work because we've gone to the defense stage and think about what you're gonna do and prepare for it. And remember and take notes. If you're asked a question, and maybe a question that you think, oh, you know, you need time to think about it. Sometimes we ask questions that are multifaceted and there's several parts to it. And in those types of questions, the important thing to think about is, that you cover each part of it. A good practice may be to have a pencil and paper with you. And if someone asks a complex question, you write it down and you say, excuse me, there's a couple of parts to this. I want to make sure I address each part. That gives you the advantage of a few more seconds whilst you're thinking. You can cross them out as you go through. You can turn around and say at the end of the question, does that cover all your parts clearly or fully? Is there anything else? And this is the dialogue when you're talking about your research. For most people, it will help you settle down. And when you've settled down, you'll answer better and you'll feel better, better about it. 
you know, some questions, there are no answers. And, you know, and I mean that in a sort of a positive way, because the examination committee might even be talking about your research work and explaining something or doing parallel work. And that's when you come in and, you know, you can join in the conversation. There's not necessarily a question. And that's a good situation. But also remember the difficulty that the examiners have. You know, if you're an external examiner, if you're secondary to the research and you come along to be part of the defence, you've probably read it at least once, possibly twice. Now, what happens for the professors is to think of questions that are useful. I always think of questions where that's not clear. I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask that. And over the years of being on lots of examinations, I come with more questions to ask than I have time to ask them generally. And the reason is because other people on the committee will probably be asking some of those questions and I can cross them off so that I'm prepared when it's my chance. And remember, professors, we like to talk. And the joke, you know, you ask five professors for an opinion and you get nine opinions back. So there will be a lot of them talking and not necessarily listening because they're articulating their approach to find out what you think. And it's not just to test you, it's to see that you understand what you're doing. And this is where the whole process is informative and helpful for everyone. Now, you know, we're living in a world now which is a pandemic. And what we're having frequently now, are all defences are online with Zoom. Now, some people think, oh, that's a bit of a disadvantage. It can actually be an advantage while we're still doing this. And in a world where we have people who are all over the world, they could be Zooming in. But think of it in the classic way. Normally, you'd be in a, a room, and there could be 5, 10, 15 people there. You're standing at the front, presenting your PowerPoints, and you're sitting down. Some of us, you know, and I always call it the hand waving. I do this myself sometimes, you know, when I'm lecturing. You know, your hands move around. It can look like a windmill or something like that. If you're one of these people and you're standing in a room, hold a piece of paper, maybe hold a pen, that will stop you scratching the top of your head, putting your hand in your pocket to find your car keys and different things like this. Make sure you have a posture that's comfortable. Make sure you have clothes are on that are very fitting and you're comfortable wearing. If you haven't worn a necktie for a couple of years and you put on a shirt and the top button is tight and you're feeling uncomfortable, that's not advisable. You know, make sure you prepare what you're gonna be wearing. Obviously, in my situation, I like students to be looking professional, but also you need to feel comfortable as you're presenting. If you're doing a defense in front of a Zoom, you know, they're gonna see your head and shoulders only. They're not going to see if you're tapping your hands or different things like this. But if you're in a room and you're being asked questions by some very senior and important academics and they're looking at you, sometimes people are very, they're confused. You know, what do I do? Do I look into the person's eye? And when you think you're looking into people's eyes, it's almost like a standoff and someone gives in and looks away. Now, I suggest to you, if you're going to go into a room or give a presentation, Go in there and look on the back of the wall, you know, and find three different parts of the wall. Look at those parts of the wall and talk to those. Avoid eye contact if you're a little bit uncomfortable. And to the audience, it looks like you're talking to the whole audience. You're moving your head and making sure you're talking to everybody. And these are little things and you'll start to get on a roll and practice doing this on your own and maybe in front of your chair. 
because these are ideas and these are things that can help you. And settling down and going through those are good ideas. And these are the preparations that you need to be doing. So of course, practice, of course, prepare. If you're doing a presentation and you're given a time limit and it's on Zoom, you can put up a nice clock on the screen that counts down in the corner to give you a, a, an indication when you're coming to the end. If you're doing it in person, you know, think about how you're going to monitor the time. Is there a clock on the back wall or something like that? If you're given a definite time to keep to, make sure you keep to it. You know, you see people come along for a 15, a 20 minute presentation and they've got 35 slides. You think you're not going to cover that. Some people will say, you've had your 20 minutes, stop there. And remember, you're trying to sell your research and to show the people all those things that I said about the beginning. You understand the theory, the implications, and the whole process of the actual work that you do. Yes, type one questions you need to know. Yes, type two questions you need to know, and type three. But the more you struggle with a type two or the less you explain to the people, the more likely you are to get additions to explaining your work in the written form. And remember that once you finish, this is going to be published, it's going to be a dissertation that goes in the library and different places like that. Anyone in the future will not be able to have the luxury of asking you clarification questions. So you're probably gonna get a list of little things that need changing. And the more you struggle, the longer that list gets. And ideally that list is a very minimal requirement. And that is your aim to explain and people have that confidence and say, there's a few little things that you need to address. Change those and then it's completed. But if we look as I've come to the end of this podcast, there's two things I'd really like to put across. First of those, the disasters that I've seen. People have clearly lied and they're caught out lying. If that happens, you're not gonna pass. What's probably going to happen, you're going to get major changes and you're going to have to defend again. Don't come along when someone asks you a statistical part because of some of the statistical analysis you do. You say, oh, I don't really understand statistics. I just got that off the computer program and put it down. That's not acceptable. If you've put down the mean sum of squares, if you put down an F value or a P value or any statistical value, you need to know exactly what that means. You need to know if your data is parametric or non-parametric. Does it apply to a group or can you actually use that for the wider audience? Do your preparation in that. It needs to be done. You know, don't be frightened of saying, look, I need to refer to my dissertation. You're not expected to know what was the fifth word on the eighth line on page 72. Good practice, in my opinion, if you've got a hard copy of your dissertation. Put a post-it note at the start of each of the sections and the references that you can quickly find that. I frequently come along and ask questions. There's a diagram on page 87. Could you clarify that for me? Because in your description, you say that it's not increasing greatly. But when I look at it, they seem incongruous to the two presentations. What is it? Or have I misunderstood it? And it makes it flow and be prepared and it shows. But at the wrap up stage of it, you know, eventually, People will have asked all the questions. They would have been confident that they've gone through everything and everything is clear for them to make a decision. Try to enjoy it. It's going to be a fabulous day. You're going to look back and think, this was the day I defended my doctoral degree. It's not just doing the doctoral course. It's all your schoolwork, your bachelor's, your master's, and all the work that leads up to here. 
It's the icing on the cake for the academic world, something to be immensely proud of. So try to enjoy it as much as you can. Don't worry about being nervous. It's not gonna stop you passing. But most people will settle down after a few minutes and feel more comfortable. The presentation of it is a good way to settle down. People asking you basic questions helps you settle down. And if there's a question that you do not know the answer to, say, I do not know the answer. That is not clear to me. I'd like to refer to my notes or I'd like to refer to my dissertation. I'd like to think about that a little bit longer. Could we come back to that at the end of the question and answer session where I can give you an answer? And if you can't answer it in the worst case, say it, I'm not totally sure. You will probably be given some minor additions to go back and make sure you do that and present that. Show yourself. We all have different styles of presenting. There's always a risk that we talk faster and faster. If you're one of those people, try to pause between each sentence. Try to be comfortable, try to be confident and put it across. And remember, there's no imposter syndrome of a defense. People are now believing that this work is worthy of a doctoral degree. And they're making sure that you cover all of those situations. Now at Capital, we do a lot of this with our students. I'm hoping some of my students will listen to this podcast. If you're not from Capital and this helps you with your defense, that is wonderful. It's a great experience. I have over a hundred successful PhD students. Now that success has taken about three decades to get to. And I get a buzz every time someone passed. I get just as much as an excitement from the very last student that passed to the very first student, because you're pay, playing a significant part in someone's life. And we're part of that and we're here to support you. Use your committee, use your chair, practice, get ready, think about what I've covered today, and then hopefully you'll be able to enjoy that. And with that, you know, if you wanted to ask some questions, you go and look at Capital's website, look for my name, it's on the website, and it's Ian McAndrew, the Dean of Doctoral Programs. We enjoy this type of thing, and we'll be happy to answer some of those questions. I'm delighted to support you if we can in little ways. But thank you for your time today, and I hope this has got rid of some of the apprehension and ideas that you have about them. And remember, it's not hazing, it's an academic, robust process. Thank you, President Sims. Thank you, Dr. McAndrew. I think that's a lot of great information. I wish I had it many years ago as I was working through my dissertation. Uh, it is a scary time when you come to the very end and you have to do your final defense in front of your committee. A lot of good information in here to prepare for that for any doctoral student or anybody who's thinking about a doctoral program. It's the culmination of all those years of hard work coming down to this final presentation. Uh, here at Capital Tech, uh, I know we have several doctoral degrees. Can you transfer in if you're working on another doctoral degree at another university? Is there an opportunity to, to do that? Well, there's absolutely every opportunity. We have two types, two principal types of doctoral degrees. The classic American degree where you do mainly two thirds classes and you do a third dissertation residencies. But we also have a research degree, which is all research. And you do a major piece of research with, under the direction and mentorship of a committee of a chair and a committee member, where you look at a much bigger piece of research. And you can bring in your previous research and carry on doing that with us. There are limitations and different things like that. But if you are in a situation where you've got to an ABD 
and you're not going any further and the chair and everything's not working, we'll be happy to look at it and help you do that. Bring some of your credits along. We'll give you those credits for the research methodologies and all the work that you've done. We'll look to salvage a lot of your work. And indeed, we have about 20% of our students that transfer in from ABDs because they want to do it. But if you're also thinking about the bigger picture and the research degrees that we do by pure research, we also have those where you can do it by publication. And this is a fabulous way of doing a PhD. Under the supervision and mentorship of your committee, you will do your research and present three peer-reviewed papers. Then the actual defense is a little bit different. We have a thing called an exegesis. That's a bridged document, about five to 7,000 words, showing how all three papers come together. That puts you in a very strong position when you're defending, because you're saying, I've done all this good research. It's gone through the peer review process at significant journals, international journals, by externals that are world experts reviewing as editors and assistant editors. And they have accepted my three individual works. I am here to show that those three together collectively form a much bigger piece of work. And thank you, President Sims, for reminding me. The first question you should always be prepared to be asked, and that is, please explain to us, what is your original contribution to knowledge? And if you do it by publication, it's even easier. So if you do or are interested in transferring in from some stage, we're happy to talk about that as well. Thank you. We have doctoral degrees that are really focused on supporting the US industry or the global industry, depending on where you live. Our degrees are in tradition with where capital is that we're focused on building careers or enhancing careers and supporting the industry. And so as our students come in, most of them are working full-time. So the degrees, in my opinion, are well-designed for full-time working individuals who are advancing their What's your take where our degrees are in the marketplace to help our students? I think that's a very good question. I think we are uniquely situated at Capital with the industries and the DOD and all the important agencies that are around us. And we have advisory boards that help us develop the new degrees that we have. And we're the first in, in the state and in parts of the, the nation as well to be offering degrees in artificial intelligence, our cybersecurity with the first one, quantum computing and things. And an important part of doing your doctoral degree, and that is particularly for America, but on the global footprint that we have students from all over the world, is to have extant chairs. These chairs of knowledge, experience and everything else. And we have a wealth of that where we are to be able to support. But I would add, you know, as working professionals and things, what that adds is, and if you think, if you go back to when you were sort of 18, maybe starting university, and you think how much better you have got at learning than you did when you were younger, you have all of that experience of learning. And that is a tremendous asset you bring. But if you look at one of our primarily research degrees, things like artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, leadership, and all the key skills and the STEM skills that the nation needs and uses, well, you're often working in those areas. That is where we can match your background knowledge to a research project to actually make it more streamlined and more efficient for you. So you won't be given a task of doing a research topic that a professor wants you to do. We'll look to work with you and develop a research question based 
on your area of expertise and knowledge and even application. We have students that are working at some of the highest level of research without realizing it. And we match that and pair that up to their PhD research plan, which makes the path direct and it builds on their success to make it a more enjoyable experience. One of the things that I think you do well, Dr. McAndrew, is you're very customer service focused and helping the students be successful in the doctoral program. Any student who's even not even a student with Capital Tech can find your email address and email you questions. And you're, I know you're more than happy to answer those or, or speak with somebody to give them uh, advice about their topics, their proposal for research, just to help them out. So uh, you might want to talk to the podcast listeners a little bit about how they can, what they might want to ask you. Well, gladly. I mean, I'll tell you my email address is IR. MacAndrew, and it's M-C-A-N-D-R-E-W at captechu.edu. But it's easy to find if you Google my name, Ian MacAndrew. You know, I enjoy working with students. I enjoy talking to students, whether they've started or potentially interested in universities. And, you know, if you contact us, you know, you may be thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I go to Capital. Well, it's just as rewarding if you have a conversation with a student and we turn around and say, we are not the degree for you. We have not got the actual degree that matches your need. Because then that means that you go away and you don't waste your time with us. You don't start with us for maybe one semester and think this is a pointless. And then you drop out and go elsewhere. Because we're very keen. And I have my president with me here today. And one of the things that he charges me with, of course, it's student in numbers, but particularly in terms of quality of the work that we do but also maintaining the actual completion rate. And at Capital, you know, I would estimate that we're probably twice the national average of completion. And that's not because we do anything to cut corners. If anything else, what we do, we've had more quality in it. And at Capital, on all our defenses, I have at least one person who's a subject matter expert who was nothing to do with your committee to sit down and be on that committee on that defense. And they put in that consistency to make sure the quality is between each year and consistent. And we have that recognition globally because we have students from all over the world. And that is important, you come out. What we do at Capital and what I'm proud of and what we work very hard with our customer focus is to remove all the unnecessary roadblocks that we can help you complete academically. Now, one of the things that you often have problems with at universities, and this is pre-defense, is, you know, your chair changes. And some of you, if you're listening to it, you may have had your chair change. And they actually say, well, this is all very well and good, but it's not good enough for a doctorate. I'm your new chair. You're going back to square one. Well, to address that and something that I have added to Capital's doctoral degrees, what we do is something called an academic review board. We get you right at the beginning to plan an academic detailed roadmap of what you're going to do. What is the research question, the hypothesis, the problems and all this, and justify it's unique and hasn't been solved before. We have an internal process and then we have an external process with external experts that approve that. If your committee left halfway through with our degrees, I would then find a committee chair to take over who picks up on that pre-approved plan and they do not have the authority to say, this isn't good enough, go back to square one, because it has been validated to be good enough. And that is one of the successes that we had, and we're very proud of to support our students and complete. And we are completing well, and we complete with quality. 
we have students and we have a student, for example, in Germany, who's had their doctoral degree from capital verified by the German federal government. If you want to use the title doctorate or doctorate in Germany, it has to be approved by the German government, the federal government, or you can't use it professionally. And we have people have done that in Germany and it is one of the highest standards. That goes to show that we're committed to quality and we're here to support you. And we're here to support you at all the stages. And this is why we like to put a lot of effort into the actual defense and helping you. And if we can disseminate that to other students in other universities, well, we're delighted to do that because it is an important phase in our life and it is a wonderful phase. Now I passed my doctoral degree several decades ago and I'm incredibly proud to have achieved that. And it was a personal success. And for you, we can support you to help you make that happen. And if you're never at Capital, but you're listening to some of this advice, and if it does help you in your exam, if you get a chance, maybe drop us an email to let us know that it worked. Or if you've got any suggestions that we can share with other students in the future, we'd be delighted to hear as well. Thank you, Dr. McAndrew. And thank everybody for listening to the podcast today. Today's podcast was based on preparing for the doctorate defense. And you can contact Dr. Ian McAndrew. You can find him easily through either the Capital Technology University website or he's on LinkedIn. So we hope you enjoyed today's